All right, Genesis chapter number 15, and we're going to read a few verses about uh, one of the uh, great heroes of the faith of the Old Testament. Matter of fact, he's recognized in the New Testament as the uh, founder of our faith, God working through him, Abraham. So let's begin in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all of these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. When the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. When the sun was going down a deep, Sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not there, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with a great substance. Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou uh, shall be buried in a good old age. And in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. It came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those. And that same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. I want to preach for a few moments tonight on this subject of precious promise that goes beyond. It has been said that the Christian life is not based upon answers, but upon promises. And while this life fades with time and everything that we know concerning this life, God's promises never end and are always eternal. There is a measure of difference between those who have in this world and those who have not. There are those who have a promise and those who do not. Physically speaking, the Christian faces the same thing as the world does. The Bible said it rains upon the just as well as the unjust. But the only difference is the child of God has a promise and the world does. Abraham's life was one of legendary beauty, passion, and power. A life created and motivated by a deep sense of a divine promise. His every step was because of a promise and upon a promise. A life of faith was Abraham out of step with time but firmly settled upon the oath and the promises of God. Abraham is a man who believes God. Romans chapter number 4 verse 18 through 21 says it very clearly. Being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory unto God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. The life of Abraham could simply be summarized in the fact that he was a man 
that had a promise. And so it is that separates every child of God from this world and from religion of any type. We have a direct and definite promise from God Almighty. And as a matter of fact tonight, no matter how religious we may be, and the world is full of religion, if you do not have a promise, you don't have a leg to stand on come judgment day. You must ask yourself and make your calling and election sure tonight. Do you have a secure and definite unchangeable promise from God concerning your soul and concerning eternity. Everything that Abraham did, every step that he took, every action that he involved himself in was because of a promise from God Almighty. May I say to you that 32 years ago, I connected up with the promises of God found in Christ. And every step and every direction and every motivation and every sense uh, of, of spiritual energy flows as a result of a divine promise to my soul. And I'm glad that I've got a promise. Aren't you tonight? Now, I want you to notice some things about the promise that Abraham has that is so vital and so important as we see it in this text. I want you to notice, first of all, that Abraham has a promise, as we all need a promise in this life and also at the end of this life. Abraham has a promise, and he needs a promise, that goes beyond the simple promises of this world the promises that are made in everyday life that we make one to another. There are many promises made every day, but every promise made by man is made to be broken somewhere along the way. They are subject uh, to not being fulfilled. Whether we think about an insurance policy, with all that fine print, you know, that you just didn't read until you needed it, and then you found out that it didn't cover what you needed covered. It was, it was fallible. It just wouldn't meet the need that you had, though it was a promise in the beginning. I thought about the mechanical warranties that we have on our vehicles and on things that we buy that sometimes they'll run out the warranties will run out just before the machine does. And then when you call in and say, well, you know, my transmission, well, how many miles have you got? Well, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, you don't have a warranty anymore. Or we could talk about in this world the promises of the politicians, and don't we know a lot about that nowadays? Their outrageous election year promises when they say, read my lips. And then after the election is over, somehow they have forgotten all the promises that they have ever made during that time. I'm simply trying to emphasize that there are all kinds of promises made in this world. Abraham doesn't need a promise like that. He doesn't need a promise from me. He doesn't need a promise from you. He doesn't need a promise from those who are around him. He needs a promise that goes beyond what I call the fallible. When I use the word fallible, I mean the uh, beyond those promises that can be broken and will be broken. The promises that man makes. He needs a promise that goes beyond that. He's, he's leaving his homeland. He's leaving his country. He's leaving everything, stepping out by faith upon a promise, not a promise that some man made to him but a promise that God Almighty made to him. May I say it to you, I connected into that promise 32 years ago. It wasn't a promise that a preacher made to me or a priest made to me. 
or some church made to me, but thank God, when I met the Lord, He made the promise to me. And if God makes a promise, you see, the promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. And so therefore, I've made many promises that for one reason or another, I've not been able to keep. In other words, I've said, I'll meet you at such and such a place. And then because of some other incident, I'm not able to meet at that such and such a place or whatever the case may be. But in God's uh, uh, position, God, when He makes a promise, He will always fulfill that promise because there's nothing that can ever stop Him or ever get into His way uh, concerning that promise. I heard about a man who uh, was selling a mule and a Presbyterian elder came by and said to him, Sir, I'd like to buy the mule. I don't have the money, but I'm a Presbyterian elder and you can ask anybody in the community. I am and, and I'll bring the money back to you later on in the week. Well, he let him have the mule and he went home that evening and he sat down with his wife and they were uh, he was eating and he looked up and he said, Honey, what? by the way, what is a Presbyterian elder? He said, well, I think that it's about the same thing as a Baptist deacon. He said, oh, Lord, I just give my mule away. Well, that's the promises that men give. But notice how God reveals himself unto Abraham because he wants Abraham to know who's making this promise, who's going to back this promise up. If you'll notice with me, he appears to him, and uh, in verse number 2, Abraham knows God's name. Abraham is aware of God's name. And in verse number 2, Abraham said, Lord God. That is the word Adonai. And it means to be master or owner. It has the sensation about it, as the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And when God makes a promise to Abraham, he has revealed himself unto Abraham as the God who masters and who owns everything. And so what he can say unto Abraham is, Abraham, I make a promise unto you, but I back that promise up with my ability. I have the resources to fulfill my promise. I say unto you that I will give you uh, the promised land and I will give it unto your generations. Well, Abraham, it's not going to be any problem for me because the earth is mine and everything in it. So I back up my promise with my ability to do so. And so Abraham uh, is able to realize that, that God, the infallible one, makes a promise. Not a promise that can be broken, but with his ability. He makes a promise to Abraham that, that uh, he will inherit the earth and all the promises that go on uh, with that. You know, there's several uh, names for God that are revealed unto Abraham. I thought about in Genesis chapter number 14 here and verse number 18 and 19. The Bible said in Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now here, this word is Elyon, and it means the superior one or the supreme one. So Abraham knows God not only as Adonai, the one that owns everything, but he knows him as Elyon, the one that is above everybody. And so there can be no cancellation of the promises that God makes because you can't appeal to anybody any higher than what God is, what Elyon is. There is no judge nor any Supreme Court. And what a mess. And I know you don't want to hear it tonight that we're getting into as far as this election is concerned as they go to the uh, appellate courts and, and appeal to this and this and all these judges. Thank God. My promise is not dependent upon some human judge that can be influenced by some party in this world. He always judges the same. 
And there's no way to change that. And he has all authority and all power. And when he makes a promise to you, and he makes a promise to me, he makes it based upon not only his ability, but his authority to do so. Who's going to stop God from making a promise and fulfilling a promise to us? Thank God when Abraham moves out, he moves out with the assurance that, that God said to him, Abraham, if you'll follow me, I'll bless you and I'll bless those that bless you. And I will make a nation out of you. And uh, I will give this land under your children. Well, who's going to cancel that? The Palestinians? The Jordanians? The Syrians? Oh no, my friend. God is superior and supreme to all of that. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I, the Lord, am making a promise unto you. It's so important tonight that you personally have heard beyond the words of this preacher or the words of any other preacher. And you've seen beyond simply the black and white of the text of the Bible. But you have actually heard God Almighty make a promise to your soul of eternal life through His Son and by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. My fear is in this hour that I preach to many who have prayed prayers and read verses and attended churches, but honey, they have never come face to face with the God, the only one that can pay, uh, make the promise to your soul cannot bring you up here and pray a prayer with you and tell you that you're saved. I have no authority to do that. I have no ability to give you salvation. I can't even be assured that my own children are going to go to heaven except they individually have come face to face with God and have heard the voice of God Almighty make the promise of salvation to their soul. There is no assurance of salvation. Salvation and the promises of God are given by God alone who makes that promise to your soul. Oh, I'm so glad. This isn't the thing that withstands the onslaught of the devil as he tries to cause us to doubt is when we can go back in our hearts and hear the voice of God as he has spoken to us the truth of salvation to our souls and has told us that we belong to Him, and, uh, and He is ours, and the claim is made. Thank God. We need, listen, friend, tonight, in this thing of salvation, you need a promise. You better have a promise. It better be more than the promise of a mother, or a father, or a church, or a preacher, or a water baptism, or anything else. You best have heard the promise from God Almighty of salvation for your soul. Abraham had a promise. But who made the promise? He didn't negotiate with the Palestinians. He didn't negotiate for those, the Hittites and all of the other ites that were in the land at that time. God did not even inquire of those folks. He simply came to Abraham and, and, and he mentions those nations in verse 19, 20, and 21. And he comes to Abraham and he said, Abraham, I, God, will give that to you. Oh, I'm so glad. God has made a promise to my soul that the devil nor the world can ever shake. God made a promise based upon his authority, based upon his ability. A promise that goes beyond the fallible. Notice in Genesis 21, verse number 33, the Bible said Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. <laughs> oh, I love this. I'm still talking about a promise that goes beyond the fallible, beyond the human element. A promise that God and only God can make based not only upon his authority, based not only upon his ability, but based upon his eternality. <laughs> We're several thousand years this side of the time when God made the promise, Abraham's gone. 
Isaac is gone. Jacob is gone. But God is still alive and on the throne. And God said, that land still belongs to my boy Abraham. And he's going to get that land. Why? Because God's hung around long enough to make it so. You see, many of the promises that are made in this life are made by people who can't back it up because they don't live long enough to back it up. You ever go try to get some kind of a, a, a policy, insurance policy, or whatever it may be? Go buy a car, and the guy that sold you the car said, Oh, yes, listen, you have any problems, you just come back and see me. <laughs> you have a problem with the car, you go back to see him, and they say, Well, he quit here two months ago. He's not here anymore. <laughs> the promise is no good. He's gone. I remember a lady that had stayed with an elderly lady and uh, the elderly lady told her that she wanted to put her in her will and she wanted to leave her a certain amount of money but when the elderly lady passed off the scene and her children came in and took over well they just pushed the other lady out and forgot about her and she didn't get into the will at all now if the, if the elderly lady had to live, but you see, you can't live and, and, and die at the same time. One of the two has to happen. And so she left, but when she left, she lost the authority and the power of making sure that this other lady got in on the wheel. See? But God's not like that. God was around in Adam's day. God was around in Noah's day. God was around in Abraham's day. God was around in Paul's day. And God's around in our day. And the same God that made the promise to the Apostle Paul is the same God that made the promise to my heart and my soul. The same God that made the promise to Abraham is the eternal God, ever-existent one. The Bible said, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot die promised <laughs> before the world began. I love that, don't you? <laughs> How in the world can you make a promise? I'd have a, I, I, don't, I don't make many promises. I don't make many promises. Because I found out I ain't too good at keeping them. Too many things change. I don't even make a lot of promises to God. I mean, anymore, I, I don't, matter of fact, I don't make any. No. I'm too human. But a God that before the world began, <laughs> before it ever started, said, I make a promise! <laughs> and when it's all over with, just like he said, way back there, will be as the way he said, way out here thunders within my soul to know that my eternal life and my salvation is in, a, in the hands of a God who changes not and has all power in heaven and earth and can make a promise in eternity and fulfill it in eternity. Oh, we ought to shout about our security. In Christ. In Christ. A promise. A promise that goes beyond the fallible because God who is infallible perfectly and eternal made this promise to me and you. And this is the kind of promise we need, isn't it? Oh, I don't want to put no confidences in the promises of this world. No. Not only is it a promise that goes beyond the fallible, but I want you to notice that it is a promise in verse number 8 through 12 and 17 and 18. It is a promise that goes beyond the carnal or the fleshly. Notice in verse number 8, Abraham says to the Lord, How am I going to know? Whereby shall I know that I'll inherit it? He said, Lord, I'm, I, I, need, I need to ask you something. What, how am I going to know this? And God began to involve Abraham and become involved with Abraham in a custom that existed in those days. If you'll read verse number 8 down through verse 12. What the custom was is when you were going to make 
any kind of covenant or agreement or an oath with somebody, you would seal that oath always with blood. And so what they would do is they would take these sacrifices and they would cut them up. They would lay part of them on one side, part of them on the other side, and they would sprinkle the blood all around. And then the two people who were going to make this agreement one with another would lock arms and they would walk in the midst of these sacrifices. And what they would be saying one to another is, we are making a covenant, a binding promise. And it would be binding as long as each one kept their side of the bargain. But if one side broke down on his side, then the agreement was over. And if the other side broke down on his part of the covenant, then the agreement was over. So it took two parties promising one another and walking through these sacrifices in this blood, sealing a covenant and an agreement about something between the two. And that's what the Lord tells Abraham to do. Abraham said, Lord, how am I going to know that I'm going to inherit the land? He said, well, Abraham, we'll just do it like y'all do it. And so Abraham cut up the sacrifices, laid them out, threw out the blood. And he waited on God. But you know what? The Scripture said that a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. He didn't get to have part Look in verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. Abraham is on the sidelines. Verse number 17 and 18 said that it came to pass when the sun went down was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Here's the thing that I want you to see. In this covenant and in this agreement that involved two people, both of them walked in the midst of it, but the covenant and the agreement depended upon the faithfulness of both individuals. If you'll notice the text, Abraham doesn't get to walk in the midst of these sacrifices. God says to Abraham, I'm going to show you and make a promise to you that you will inherit this land. Abraham's on the sideline in a deep sleep and God is walking in the midst of the sacrifices. And the reason why he does so, he doesn't want Abraham in there with him. Because if Abraham gets in there with him, that means the covenant is dependent upon God and Abraham. And if Abraham doesn't keep his part, then the promise is over. But you know as well as I do, Abraham is a man. And somewhere along the way, and he did, Abraham's going to fail. So God might as well not even make a promise if he's going to hinge it upon Abraham because Abraham's not going to be able to keep his part. So what God does is he leaves Abraham on the side and then God walks through the midst of it himself. And what he is saying is, Abraham, I'm making an unconditional promise to you. I'm making this promise not based upon your effort, your success, even your faithfulness. But I'm ba- making this promise based upon my faithfulness. And so Abraham is in the promise, but yet he's left out of the promise as far as his effort is concerned. What I'm trying to say is, God's making a promise. 
to Abraham as he makes to all sinners who come to Christ. But the promise is not based upon your effort. Your effort. He does not say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be good and thou shalt be saved. If he did, then you would become a part of the effort of salvation. You see, I had a fellow tell me one time that he believed you could be lost by sinning, and I said, well, what sin determines where you become a lost person again? Oh, he said, well, when you run around with women and drink and stuff like that. I said, you mean to tell me you think that's the worst sin that there is? Oh, he said, that's pretty bad sin. I said, don't you think it's a pretty bad sin not to pray? Don't you think it's pretty bad sin not to pray for a sinner that if you could pray for him and then God would work on him and he would get saved? Don't you think that's a sin? Don't you think it's a sin not to uh, be faithful to the things of God, to read the Bible, all these other... But you see, he didn't want to draw the lines there. He wanted to reach way out here into what he thought was certainty of, of running off with a woman or doing something like that. But what I want to say to you tonight, if God lets you have one part in salvation, it messed the whole thing up. He hung on the cross and he cried out, It is finished! And salvation was totally complete and over when I got in. And I didn't come in with my little program to help God out. Me and Jesus is going to work this thing out. Me and Jesus is going to build us a bridge. Me and Jesus is going to climb up. It ain't me and Jesus nothing. It's Jesus and only Jesus and always Jesus and forever Jesus. Thank God. I'm going to heaven not because I'm perfect, not because I've always done right, not because I've always been faithful, but because the God who promised it is faithful. I'm on my way to Canaan's land. But I'm glad he didn't ask me to take part. <laughs> I feel sorry for those folks who feel like that if they just don't hang in there, they ain't going to make it. Well, I'm here to tell you, he hung in there. And the reason why he did is so I could make it. I don't need a promise that's based upon the fleshly. I'll do if you will do. Let's do it together. But if you fail, it's all. Well, I'm here to tell you, if that's the promise you've got tonight, you're not going to make it. Is there anyone here tonight that has, ever since you've been saved, you've prayed all that you're supposed to pray? You read all the Bible you're supposed to read? You've witnessed everybody you're supposed to witness to? You've never had a bad thought? I mean, you've never looked in the wrong direction? You've never said anything you wasn't supposed to say? <laughs> I don't even wish that was so. Because if that was so, You'd be like the rich young ruler. You'd be so hot and proud that God couldn't even save you as he couldn't save him. Salvation is not based upon human merit and effort. For by grace are you saved. And that not of yourself. It is a gift. <laughs> God said, hey, sorry bud, you can't, go, you can't walk through this one. I'll go where along Salvation. This promise that Abraham has is a promise that goes beyond the fallible what promises men make to us. And it's a promise that goes beyond the fleshly or the carnal. The promises that we may make to God. But we fail in them so many times. You know, I know some other things about this, uh, this promise. I notice in verse number 5 that this is a promise that goes beyond the mathematical. Look at verse 5. Abraham 
Abram, as he was called then, has been praying for some time. And do you know what Abram wants more than anything? Anybody know? Is it a boy? He wants a son to inherit the promise. And so he asked God for a son. <laughs> but he's also sure that this is going to strain God to the very limits of his divine strength. Because how can God do it? God has waited until Abraham's 75 to even talk to him. <laughs> Looks like he'd have called him out at 25. And then they could have got the ball rolling. You know, no sweat, Lord, we'll go. I'm 25, me and Sarah, she's, you know, young, and we'll have us a boy, two or three of them. We got a man. But God waits until it becomes impossible. Abe is now under a hundred. And Sarah is ninety. Biologically impossible to even have one child. <laughs> But God has the audacity to say, Abe, what I want you to know is, contained in my promise is, you're going to have a promised seed. A boy. Abe, you're going to have a boy. <laughs> and Abraham's trying to hold on to that. Believe in God for that boy. And that's what he's praying for, is one boy. And he really thinks this is going to be tough. And so God comes to him in verse 5. And he says, in essence, Abe, about coming out from under that tent for a while, he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heavens. <laughs> Can you see Abraham looking? Toward the heavens. Now they tell me that with a naked eye on a real clear night that you can see as many as 3,000 stars. And in the course of a year that you can see 6,000 different stars. And if you've got a real good telescope you can see as many as 60,000 stars. But those that have them great big old telescopes, you know, they say that there's as many as, as billions of billions of stars. And all kind of galaxies, and every galaxy has got billions of stars. And the very star that is nearest to the sun is thousands of times bigger than the sun. Come here, Abraham. We're going to do a little study. You start counting. <laughs> Can you see a way about that? One, two, three, four, five, six. Lord, I can't count all these. What's, what's there to it anyhow? He said, if thou be able to number them, so shall thy seed be. Can <laughs> you see your way? Oh, he's expecting to squeeze. He's expecting maybe if somehow he can get one boy. One boy! And God said, no, now wait a minute, Abe. You trying to limit me? I'm not just going to get you one boy, but I'm going to get you children as the stars of heaven. And as the sand of the seashore, I'm God. And you can drop all of your mathematical figures on how this cannot be done and how it may be impossible and go ahead and get your crib ready and kick up some sand and count the stars because I am going to keep my promise and it's always I'm glad that my thoughts I'm not like God's thoughts. 
Because I have a hard time. You know, when I, uh, I, I struggled with the Lord two years about evangelism, and the reason why I did is, is I, I figured he'd have a hard time taking care of me. See, before I went into evangelism, I'd go, I preached a lot of meetings, but I always went back to church and they had a check waiting on me. If, if they didn't give me nothing in the meeting, I still had something waiting at home. We started to make us a sign when, we, when God made us go into, I mean, he had to make me. He made me go into evangelism. He made me. I'd always heard that the Lord wouldn't make you do something you wouldn't want to do. I don't believe that no more. Of course, I don't think Jonah believed that. But uh, I tell you, I made me a sign. I, want, I thought about making me a sign that said, We'll preach for food. I'm telling you, that's how doubtful I was. <laughs> I thought heaven was on rations. Oh, it's easy to preach it, but it's another thing to live it. Hmm? Oh, it's easy to talk about in the good times, but it's another thing when you squeeze in the corner to say, yes, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we have asked or think. You see, in our mind, we figure according to what we can calculate. But God will always go beyond anything you can ever think about or you can ever calculate. Isn't that amazing? You remember when they went to feed the 5,000? Uh, there's probably as many as 25,000 now. And they calculated, they figured, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, have them sit down anyway. Can you look at the perplexity on the faces of the disciples as they tell them to sit down, but in, in their eyes they are unbelievers and they do not believe that they're going to get fed? And can you see them as they begin to feed this multitude that is there and they start out in the beginning and they take the offering plate or whatever the basket that they're carrying it in and they're going back and they don't believe it and they say, just get a half of one, honey. And you just get a half of one too. And just, just one. Don't you imagine that's the way they did it? I know it was. I mean, they didn't believe he could take five loaves and two fishes and, and, and feed that many. Preacher, just get you one now. That's all. Just one. Just one. Huh? But don't you know that by the time that they got near the back and they'd already fed 15,000 out of that five loaves and two fishes, the time they got back to there, they're saying, get your grand young and take them home some. Huh? Just get all you want. The pastor on down there. It looks like we're going to have more we can carry home. Get your sign. Why? Because he is always able to do more than we could ever figure on. Whatever your situation is tonight, you have a promise from God that he's able to take care of you. And will take care of his own. God's not going to be ashamed. He is able. This is a promise that is able to go beyond the mathematical. God is able to do what needs to be done. He makes his promises. And they certainly stick because God has made them. Can I say to you, last but not least, I'm talking about the promise Abraham has. The promise that Abraham, I'm glad I got a promise tonight. I stand before you with a promise. But he has a promise. Abraham has a promise that goes beyond the superficial. You see, this promise that God is making to Abraham is not about tents. And it's not really about acres of land. And it's not really the depth of it. It's not really about two or three yards. It goes much deeper than that. The depth of Abraham's promise comes all the way to one. You know what this promise is all about, really? You know what this promise is all about? This promise is about Jesus. It's not a superficial promise to get you a new car. 
and to make you feel better and give you health and wealth if you'll send in your love offering. I'll send you a piece of handkerchief that I'm swabbing over and you just lay it on your head and you'll be better. Haven't you noticed if, if you've seen any of that at all that it's so superficial it just deals with a selfish manner? But the real promises of God go so very deep. You say, well, where do they go? Galatians 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one unto thy seed, which is Christ. Oh, I rejoice tonight to know that the heart of the promise of God is just not a promise in itself to know that I know somebody big that's made me a promise. Oh, or that I've run into a senator, or that I've run into a governor that's made me a promise that I can brag about. No, the thing about the promise of God is, is that God's promise, in essence, the very heart of it, is Christ himself. Not a house or a tent or a piece of land or a piece of property. God in His promise has given me Christ. And all that Christ is is that promise in my heart. Well, I mean to know Christ is to know the fullness of the promise of God Almighty in your life. You don't have to have even a house. You don't have to own a car. You don't even have to be healthy tonight to have the promise of God. But honey, if you got Christ, you got all that God could ever promise. He is the fullness and the totality and the bigness of all God. I had a fellow ask me one time a few years back, he said, you know, you reckon there's anything beyond Christ? I said, no, sir, you can't go beyond the infinite and the eternal. There's nothing beyond that. Christ is God. And he is the totality and the fullness of God. And Christ is God's promise to you and God's promise to me. As God was to Christ, so God is to us in His promises. They are so abiding and so eternal. As a matter of fact, the promise comes through Christ. I come across a little old poem that is a song concerning this and said, concerning Christ said, he signed the deed with his atoning blood and ever lives to make his promise good. When hosts of sin come marching in to make a second claim, they all march out at the mention of his royal name. What a promise. Oh, you got Jesus, you got the promise of all of it. All of it. Jesus is my promise. He is my promise. The consummation. The Bible said, For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God. Thirty-two years ago, I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And in doing so, I received the very promise of God. I, I hope you can understand what I'm saying, but we, we talk about, you know, it depends on where the, what the religious system is, but we talk about, you know, some of them say we need to be, we need to have the, Gifts. We need to have the 
spirit that even we need to have revival. I want to tell you something. Everything that you need is in Christ. And in Christ, everything you need will be met. Let us rejoice that we have. We've not been shortchanged. Rock, stock, and barrel. God has turned it all over to you and I when he gave us Christ. But let me say this. Do you have a promise tonight? Do you have a promise that goes beyond what I could give you? What your mother and father could give you, what this world can offer you. Do you have a real promise? If you do, you have Christ. Because He is God's promise. And I know there's, a, there's one side of this to where there ought to be some concern, but can I say to you, when I look at it from this perspective, I'm not sweating over who gets in office. Because there ain't there one of them fellas going to be able to give me even close to the promise what I have in Christ. And I'm here to tell you something else. There ain't there one of them fellas going to be able to take back one iota of the promise that, I'm in, that I have in Christ. Somebody said, well, if, Bush, if, Gore, if somebody gets in, well, they'll just... It ain't going to affect me none. Not what I have in Christ. Oh, this old world, it'll make a difference down here. It so will. And that's where I'd like to see the difference made. But even if, I mean, it's beyond our control what happens down here. But what happens in here should already be taken care of. Because God made a promise to you. Before there was a Republican and a Democrat party, God made a promise and he took